You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Robert Graham on Sunday, April 3rd, 2022 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. Good to see you guys this morning. My name is Robert. I am one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. And I get the privilege this morning of leading us as we read and teach from God's Word. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And And while you're turning there, I'll take one last sip of coffee and see if we have a shared experience in life together. Um, Have you ever found yourself listening to the radio, driving in the car, whatever you listen to music on, and and hearing a song from your childhood? And and maybe I'm talking to people in in my demographic, age demographic and older, hear a song from your childhood, uh, but you hear it as an adult. And all of a sudden, you realize what they're actually talking about. (laughs) And you wonder, what in the world were my parents doing letting me listen to that? Right? So wildly inappropriate, right? Uh, I'm a child of the 70s and the 80s, and I'm increasingly convinced that those decades were just wildly inappropriate. And we've thought as parents about showing some of our kids some of the movies from the 80s we enjoyed, and then we actually realized what it was we'd be watching. And we're like, oh, that's why I have the problems I have, Right? I watched those things as a kid, you know, and some of them I probably watched with my parents, you know, it's just wildly inappropriate, you know, at least if there's one thing that has improved in, in the years since, I think we've come to see that there are certain things that are just inappropriate and we can't do it anymore. They were wrong to begin with, they're wrong now, and at least we've we stopped doing it. And, and I think every generation will probably look back on whatever artistic creations came in in their day and in their childhood and probably think the same thing. Um, But as I was getting ready for this morning, one of those movies came to mind. Uh, I hadn't seen it forever, um, but it was controversial in the 80s, rightfully so. Uh, And and I was reading something, I was reading an article this week, and it mentioned the movie, and it got it spinning in my mind. And it, it was a movie that came out in the middle of the 80s, um, and it was about a, a hunter-gatherer tribe that uh, had a tribesman find a Coke bottle that had fallen from an uh, airplane window that was flying over the area. And the tribesman takes the Coke bottle back to the tribe, and, and chaos begins to ensue as they try to figure out exactly what this thing is and what this thing was for. Um, and in no way am I condoning the movie. It is not an appropriate movie. Um, but as I read the article and they mentioned the movie, it got me thinking that, you know, if those tribesmen were ever going to understand exactly what that thing was they found and actually they were going to have to figure out what it was created for, right? Chaos ensued because they had this object and this item that they didn't know what it was and therefore they couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be used for. And so if you're going to actually figure out the purpose of something, you've got to know what it was created for. And it's no different with humanity. And ultimately, that's what got me thinking. It's, it's no different when it comes to the question of what it means to be human. You know, the answer to that question is intimately tied up with the answer to the question, what were we made for? You know, and the question, what is man? What does it mean to be human? It's at the heart of so much contemporary conflict. But to fully answer the question, we're, we're going to have to know what man was made for. And so we started to explore that question. What does it mean to be human? We started to explore it last week in light of the story of 
the world, and in particular, the true story of the world that God has given us in his word. And so we looked back at Genesis chapter one and saw that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And so we spent time last week trying to really understand what is an image? Like if that is how we were created, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be an image? An image created after God, after his likeness. What did it mean and what would they have understood inherently when they read this and when they heard this when Moses wrote it? And so we spent some time talking about the, the inherent humility that comes from understanding and knowing that you were created as an image. That carries a tremendous level of humility in it. But at the same time, we aren't just random images. We are images of our creator. And that comes with an exalted dignity. And so we spend some time talking about the humility and the dignity that comes with being images, created in the image of God and after his likeness. And and then we briefly talked about the generic purpose that images carry. I mean, an image is created to do a fundamental thing. And That is to image something. That's to reflect something. And so we spent a little bit of time talking about what it meant to be created in the image of God in order to reflect him throughout his created world. And that was just a general idea of purpose. But Moses doesn't leave us in generalities, right? Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 bring more clarity to the question of what it means to be human in particular by bringing more clarity to understanding what we were actually made for. And so if you've got your Bibles open, Genesis chapter 1, we'll pick it back up in Genesis 1 verse 26. We'll go through verse 28. And there we find the Lord saying, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me say this before we keep reading. That last piece right there, male and female, he created them. That is an essential part of the equation to understanding what it means to be human. We're going to actually get to that on its own pretty soon here, okay? I'll talk more about that in a few minutes as we unpack it. But let's keep reading verse 28. Here's the purpose. Here's what imaging looks like. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let me ask you this. When you go to a party in your neighborhood, when you go to a Uh, an office event, when you go to a networking event and you're going to meet people for the first time, new people for the first time, what is the first question they will always ask you? And you'll ask them, let's just be honest about it. What do you do? Let me tell you this. If you answer, I multiply and subdue the earth, (laughs) I guarantee you will find yourself just as alone as if you answer, I'm a pastor. (laughs) I speak from experience. It's about the same thing, right? If you want the food table and the drink table all to yourself, (laughs) tell people you're either a pastor or tell them you multiply and subdue the earth. We laugh, but 
the reality is our, our, our laughter about that kind of response, and, and I think our laughter reveals how preposterous we actually think that response would actually be. But that actually reveals why we have so much trouble answering the question of what it means to be human. Because Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 is God's answer to the question, why am I here? Does my life have a purpose? Right? You're here to be fruitful, to multiply, and to have dominion. And by that, you glorify him and enjoy him forever. But what does it actually mean? That's what we're going to have to figure out this morning. Or at least begin to get a bigger idea and a bigger picture of what is meant by this. What does it mean? So to begin to put it in its context, we've got to be reminded of a couple of things in general that we talked about last week and that we saw from the text last week. And, and this, is, this is the big point. When we talked about what it meant to be an image, we talked about how in Moses' days and in the ensuing centuries, kings and, and pharaohs of the nations, they would create these images, these sculptures, these, these reflections, physical three-dimensional reflections of themselves, and they would litter them throughout their empire. Some scholars say in some areas of Egypt and even some areas of Mesopotamia, there wasn't a square inch that you could stand on in the entire empire and not see one of these images. They were everywhere. They were in homes, they were by rivers, they were open in towns. The whole kingdom, the entire empire was littered with these things. The kings and the pharaohs had a plan and a program for the multiplication of these images that would represent their authority, that would reflect their authority, that would reflect their dominion throughout the entirety of the empire. And so Genesis chapter 1 reminds us that God had a plan. God has an intention for his image to be multiplied and distributed throughout his created order, throughout his kingdom. And those images were meant to image, reflect, represent him, his authority, and his dominion throughout his creation. Multiplication, dominion. It's integral to understanding what it means to be human. Image bearers, right? God said, let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He could have done it any other way. He could have filled the earth with the reflection of his image and glory in 10,000 different ways, ways we can't even imagine, but he chose this way. Multiplication is inherent to what it means to be human. But it's more than just multiplication. The rest of the animal kingdom multiplies, right? Only you and I multiply images of God. Only you and I multiply those created in his image and after his likeness, right? So here's what I'm going to say about this. To unpack the fullness of this aspect of what it means to be human, to multiply, we're going to have to spend time talking about what it means to be male and female 
and the beauty and the glory and the distinctiveness of God's created order. Then we're going to have to talk about not only that distinctiveness, but what that distinctiveness means when it comes together as God gives this commission and command to multiply and fill the earth with images after his likeness and what it means for these two to become one flesh and what that looks like. And so here's what I'm going to do. Instead of trying to touch on all of that in one part of this morning, we're going to try to cover all those pieces together to see how those different parts work together to be able to fulfill this intention that God has for us as humanity. And we're going to do it intentionally in those parts because we need to understand, especially today, God's not squeamish about these things. He's not squeamish about what it means to be male and female. He's not squeamish about what it means to be a husband and wife. He's not squeamish about what sexual intimacy and multiplication means. And the church shouldn't be either but we're going to have to talk about them in the right context if we're going to celebrate them the way that God has given them to us, right? So we're going to come back to that in the weeks to come in its own kind of process to unpack rather than just making it a point that goes along this part of the sermon, okay? But let me say this, though, because if multiplication is inherent to what it means to be human, I want you guys to hear this. Those who don't marry... And those who don't have children biologically of their own are not lesser humans. And I say this now, and we'll unpack it in way more depth when we go through these things in more detail, but I say this now because the church of all places, and I don't think for the majority of churches it's intentional, but the church in a lot of places can imply that somehow holiness and righteousness is bound up in family size. Marriage status. Holiness and, and righteousness by how many kids we have. That's not what this means. In fact, in the fullness of the biblical story, if we're going to understand it, it was even Paul himself who said that he would wish that many men actually wouldn't marry. It actually gets in the way. It gets in the way of the purpose for which God has when it comes to spiritual multiplication. We need to be careful about what we imply if it shuts out Paul and Jesus, okay? So we're going to talk about this more specifically. But ever since Genesis chapter 3, there isn't a human born on this earth who is born inherently wanting and desiring to obey the will of their creator. They have to be taught that way. And so this multiplication that comes with being human moves also not just from a biological dimension, but to a spiritual dimension. All of a sudden, something else comes into play when we talk about multiplication. And so it's through spiritual multiplication that you and I can engage in God's good design for filling his created or with redeemed images, right? So you and I, every single one of us, we still have this same calling of of multiplication. And each and every single one of us still has every opportunity to become a spiritual parent. Like Paul would speak of Timothy, have true sons and true daughters in Christ. And so we're going to unpack that in greater detail in the weeks to come, but I think it's fair to hear that and be able to put that out there for people to hear and understand. One writer said that when when you raise your children, not just as parents, but as the church involving the people of God, you're not just reproducing, you're shaping images of the creator. When you teach someone about Jesus, you're not simply spreading religious ideology. God has entrusted his likeness 
into your hands. Multiplication is a job that all of God's people are to embrace. And a job, as this writer said, all of us are to be proud of. But the command to multiply, it it had another side to it. It had another goal to it. Listen to what he said. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together to try to understand exactly what is being said here. Remember, the pharaohs and the kings, they, they had those images everywhere, in people's homes, scattered throughout the empire. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing them, and those images represented something. They imaged something. They reflected something. All throughout the empire, they reflected and imaged the authority, the dominion. You were reminded who was in charge, whose empire it was. And this was super important in those days, in particular in tax season. I mean, imagine if you lived way out on the edges of an empire and someone came to you and said, well, you need to pay taxes to the king. What king? I've never seen a king. I've been here all my life. My family's been here. Six generations. I've never seen a king. Well, those images were there to remind you under whose authority you lived. It's fascinating. It's a bit of a rabbit trail, but this is the very thing that Jesus picks up on. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record it, right? I think it's in Matthew chapter 22. The religious leaders come and they try to, try to trap Jesus. They're always trying to get after Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they ask him a question about tax time. And they said, do you think we should pay taxes to Caesar? You remember the story? Have you heard the story before? And Jesus answers them. There's a story. Jesus says, why don't you hand me a coin? And they give him a coin. And he says, whose image? Same word. Whose image is on the coin? And they're all like, well, Caesar's, right? Caesar put his image not just out there in the world for everybody to see in statues, but his image right there on the coin because everyone would understand that the daily transactions of life, all the commercial transactions of life, all the possibility of all of that was under his authority. He and he alone had the right to make that money and take that money. You were reminded of it every time you saw his image. And Jesus says, well, whose image is on that thing? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, well, render to Caesar that which is his, but to God. Where's his image? You. Render to him that which is his. He took a little conversation about tax time and turned it into the reality of being created in the image of God and after his likeness. That which is to be given to him is you. The fullness of who you are. He and his authority is under who we live. He flipped the whole thing around and made it an image of God conversation. And so think about it. If images of stone and images of metal and images of clay and images on the coin can carry that kind of significance, if they can reflect that kind of, of authority and, and carry that much weight in the way people operate and live, how much more so living, breathing, created images of God? those created after his likeness. See, to be human is to understand that you are God's image bearer and you are intended by God to live as his representative, carrying a level of representative authority 
and your life is to reflect something of him and his intention. So this command, this commission in the very beginning in Genesis chapter one to have dominion and to subdue, it's to carry a level of representative authority in the created world that the way in which you went about your life and the way in which you related to the rest of the created world reflected something of the one in whom you were created, in whose image you were created. He's the pattern after which you live. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it kind of fills out this idea of dominion and, and subjection for us. It helps us understand the intention behind it. And in chapter 2, verse 15, the story goes, the Lord took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This helps us understand what dominion really is. This helps us understand the intention behind the commission that God has given those created in his image. The intention is to work and keep the created order. It's the language of cultivation. Cultivation is a holistic process. It's not just the, the digging of a hole and the planting of a plant. Cultivation is everything from, from seeing what needs to happen, from understanding what needs are, from creating the process by which that will happen. It's the, it's the whole cycle and all the processes that come into play with it. This is what he's talking about. As his image bearers, as his reflection, as his representatives, you and I were intended by God to put our hands to uncovering and exposing and expanding all of the latent potential that God put in his good creation. You see, the world was created good. We know that from the story. But in some sense, it wasn't finished. You see, God intended for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, but together as co-workers and co-laborers to put their hands to cultivating the created order, unfolding all of the potential that was there and taking, if they had not sinned, they would have started in the garden, continued to multiply and continue to cultivate until that thing spread out over the face of the earth. The call to dominion is the call to work and keep and cultivate the created order so much so that what God has put into it becomes seen. That the latent potential that's there is unfolded. That's the purpose of the call. I mean, have you ever considered how remarkable it is that God purposed for humanity to work alongside of him to explore and expose all of creation's potential. Right? The picture that we're given of this in, in Genesis 1 is, is an agricultural picture, right? It's one of cultivation. But I understand that the vast majority of us in this room probably don't have a garden, nonetheless cultivate land, right? We live in the city and fight for parking, right? But it's just a picture, it's just a metaphor. It, it becomes just an image for us. The idea of cultivation is about drawing out what's possible, about drawing out the potential. You don't have to be a gardener or a farmer or a landscaper to be fully human, right? This picture captures what you and I understand and inherently talk about when we speak about the idea of work, 
the implications here are way broader than agriculture, right? As we said when we first went through Genesis chapter 1, here we find that work is actually a creational good, right? It doesn't come after Genesis 3. Work isn't a product of the fall. Work is part of what it means to be human, a creational good given to us by God. You know, some people read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 in particular, and, and they have different titles and different language to talk about it. If you've been in church for any period of time in your life, you may have heard of people talk about this and calling it the creation mandate. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about this and they'll call it the cultural mandate, right? I, I'm going to stay away from some of that language because the language itself requires a whole lot of definition. Like, what is culture? What do we mean by culture? How do we define different aspects of culture? And it, it's a whole separate thing. The big picture of what you and I need to see, need to understand if it's going to give new perspective to the way we live, is that this is a commission that God has given to humanity to care for, to tend, to take care of his good creation, to unfold the potential that's in it. One writer said that the human task is to extend the creative work of God in a multitude of ways limited only by God's gifts of imagination skill, and the limits he sets. Work is forever rooted in his design for your life. It's an avenue to contribute to the good of others as a means of providing for yourself, your family, and those you can bless with your generosity. Through your work, God brings forth food and drink and product and service and knowledge and beauty, organization and communities, growth and health, and praise and glory to himself. You and I, as his image bearers, carry this representative authority. And with this authority, we have the calling of dominion. But that calling of dominion is a mission to steward, to cultivate the created world to the glory of God. That calling is a privilege. It's a blessing. It's a blessed privilege. It's not a curse. Let me see if I can help you this way. I want you to imagine something. And if you're like me, if someone says imagine something, you have to close your eyes. It's okay to close your eyes. Just don't go to sleep. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that God, the the king of creation, the creator of all things, he calls you into his presence. He calls you into his throne room. And he looks at you and he says, hold out your hands. And he says, here, this house, These kids, this office, this boardroom, this classroom, this part of my created kingdom, I am handing to you for you to steward, for you to keep, for you to cultivate, for you to put all of your heart and intention into in order to unfold its potential, its treasures that I've put there. That's why you get up in the morning. The reason you get up in the morning and you get dressed and you go to that office today, tomorrow, and the next day, the reason you get up in the morning and you take care of those kids and you take care of that family and you wash those dishes and you cut that grass, the reason you do it today, tomorrow, and the next day is because God has given you dominion. He has put these things in your hands to steward to cultivate, 
to keep, to unfold the inherent potential into his glory. The story of the world wants you to think you do all of those things just to get a paycheck so that you can pay your mortgage, so that you can buy more things that you don't need to impress people you don't even know. And do you know what the consequence of that story is besides debt? It's absolute desperation because it can't satisfy and it can't sustain. That's not what you were created for. That's not the purpose for which God intends for you. Sadly, it's the story that so many people, even in the church, wake up and carry into their day. And it leaves us despising the work we do, not cherishing it. Friends, you wake up to exercise dominion, to keep, to cultivate, to work, to expose, to unfold the created potential in God's good world. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you're a homemaker, a teacher, a student, a banker, an executive, a barista, a janitor, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily as one created in his image and after his likeness, commissioned by him to steward, to keep, to cultivate his created world. Do it for him, not men. Or whatever sense of identity the world around you tells you you have to find in it. Knowing, Paul said, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, that you're serving the Lord Christ. Friends, I don't know if you ever understood this, but essential to what it means to be human is to understand that you were created in God's image and set by God into his creation in order to keep it and cultivate it in such a way that not only is his inherent potential that he put in it unfolded and exposed to bless the world around you, but you're also to do it in a way that reflects something of him. The way in which you do it matters as well, not just that you do it. We are to carry dominion, to steward, and to cultivate as if we ourselves had the same relationship of love with his creatures that God does. And you see, it's here that the impact of Genesis 3 on our calling as image bearers of God in relation to the command and the mission that he's given us is, is most clearly seen. It's here where, where the impact of sin can be seen. You know, we mentioned it the first time we went through Genesis chapter 1 in the big picture. I'll only briefly mention it here. It's, it's here after Genesis 3 that this work that God gives us to steward actually becomes toil. It's here that it becomes toil because it's here that which we do begins to push back against us. And it's here as we understand in the story after Genesis 3 and the entrance of sin that, that more work is actually required to unfold the same potential because it's pushing back. But that's just one of the ways we see it. There, there's another way we see it that I think is more important for us to understand this morning. The impact of sin and, and our commission and calling as stewards and cultivators and keepers of God's created order as his image bearers is, is impacted by it, is in our attitude and approach to it. See, God's people even today are, are just as guilty as everyone else in thinking that 
fill the earth, subdue, have dominion, keep work, it means that we can do whatever we want with it. We can do it whatever we want with it, however we want. But all of the created order and that which is in it is there for my exploitation. But that's not what dominion means. That's actually not what it means. That's, we've been going through, it's not what it means. It means we're there as his image bearers, as his reflections to work and to keep, to steward, to cultivate, to unfold the inherent potential that God put in it. It's not to exploit it for our own benefit. You see, it's this understanding and this misunderstanding in particular of what it means to have dominion that led to so many atrocities. The Crusades were partially built on this idea of dominion, that you and I were able to have dominion over other people. It's this idea of dominion and exploitation that was behind so much of the North Atlantic slave trade. A misunderstanding of what it meant to have dominion given to us by God as his image bearers leads to so much hurt in our world today because we just don't take the time to understand what he actually says. We're cultivators, stewards of his good creation with the same intent that God would have to unfold its capacity as he would do it. See, Genesis chapter 1 reminds us that part of what it means to be human, to be made in his image and after his likeness, is to be responsible, reflective stewards of his created order. We don't just get to do what we want, when we want, regardless of whatever impact it might have. You realize that our work, when we think about the general concept of work, our work can either preserve or destroy. It can enhance or it can exploit. The mandate that God gave us in the beginning, the mandate that God gave humanity in the beginning is to work with creation, not against it. And the reality of a post-Genesis 3 world in a world that's still groaning under the impact and the weight of sin is that you and I will go one of two ways. We will either approach our world and approach our life and approach our work with the, with the mindset and the lens of cultivation or we'll approach it with the mindset and the lens of conquering. Both have tremendous impact. And not just on yourself. Both have tremendous impact on you those around you, and the world in which you're in. And I want you to hear me real quick. This isn't me running off on some kind of crazy environmentalist tangent, right? It matters. As God's steward of his good created order, how we treat the world in which he's placed us matters. I think the church has been way too far behind thinking about that, right? That's for another time, another place. That's actually too small of an idea. Thinking about this in light of only how we treat the physical world around us when you think about the environment is too small an idea of what he's talking about right here. Because part of the created order isn't just the sky, it's not just the trees, it's not just the oceans, it's not just the animals, it's other men and women around you who are part of the created order, right? A misguided notion of dominion has led to so much pain. Dominion and stewarding and cultivating is a command from God to care for his creation, including our fellow man. It's no more a license to abuse them as it is a license to abuse the world around us. 
Know this calling as his image bearers to keep and to work, to steward, to have dominion is a calling to serve their best interests. So think about where God would have you go tomorrow. Whether it's in your home, whether it's in your office, whether it's in your school, whether it's in a bank, whether it's in a surgical room, wherever he he would send you tomorrow. Those people around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, your kids, your classmates, what difference would it make if you began to see them as part of your creation mandate to steward, to cultivate, to unfold and unearth the inherent potential that God put in them? How would you then begin to relate to them differently? Right, this isn't saying let people walk all over you. What this is saying is that as his image bearer, you can't walk all over them out of your self-interest. God has you there as a steward, as a cultivator, meant to unfold and unearth the inherent potential where he has you. Right? Even in a post-Genesis 3 world where sin has still bears its scars on our lives and hearts and the world around us, the command as God's image bearer still remains. And so you and I have to seriously consider how we live in light of it. Right? We're not in the garden anymore. It's one thing to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 and, and see what we were intended to be, but to realize then this isn't how we experience the world. We're not in the garden anymore. Yet in the fullness of God's story, we know that his people, the church, the bride of Christ is called to be a very peculiar people who take up their place in creation and remind the world that it belongs to God. As one theologian said, we we are to occupy, to take up the space in creation in a motley tent camp called the church. And that people, he said, is meant to be a testimony to the coming kingdom. Our engagement, he said, with God's world is not about running the show or winning a culture war. You can write that down, probably. You probably didn't write anything else down. You can write that down, right? He said, we're called to be witnesses, not necessarily winners. You can write that one down right next to it, too. We're called to be a faithful presence. This is what James Davison Hunter has said. We don't set out to be winners in a cultural war. God's put us here to be a faithful presence, a reflection of his kingdom to a watching world. Image bearers who work and keep and steward and cultivate, exercising dominion in order to see the potential and the unfolding goodness of what God has put in this world come to be. For this faithful presence to be a reality, you and I are going to have to be regularly restoried, re-narrated. The stories in which we tell ourselves and the stories in which we live by are going to have to constantly be refocused. We're going to have to constantly be reminded of the story, God's story, of which our life is a part of. And that's what makes time like this every week on a Sunday so crucial. Because it's here in the the practices of our worship together that our hearts and our minds are constantly restoried. We're reminded of the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, God's word that we read, that into this world, scarred and tarnished by sin, God sent a worker, a servant, his own son, 
who didn't consider, Paul said, equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form. Image is the word behind it. Image. And it was in him that he came to restore the image of God in us and our ability to accurately reflect God in the work of our hands. By his life and death and resurrection, Jesus begins to recreate a people who are finally able to work, to keep, to till, to steward, to cultivate as we were designed to. To cultivate and to serve as he did. He restories our hearts and minds to remind us that what we do and how we go about doing it isn't about making a dollar. But ultimately, it's a way in which we continue to live in deeper relationship with him, with others, and the world around us. As we put our hands and our imagination and our intention under the power of his spirit to cultivating that which he has put in the presence of us, wherever he's placed us. It's what James Smith says when he says, the habits of our worship together re-narrate our imagination so that we can perceive the world as God's creation and then hear his call echoing through every corner. Hearing his call for us as his image bearers to steward, to work, to till, to cultivate the corner of his created world where he's placed us. And it's this same story that reminds us that this whole idea of our calling as image bearers to have dominion, to subdue, to work, to keep, to, to cultivate, to, to unfold potential. It, it's not just about what you do when you get up tomorrow. It's about what it's preparing you for for all of eternity. You see, the Christian view of salvation is that a day is going to come when there's not going to be pharaohs and kings on the earth who are intent about making images of themselves and spreading them everywhere, or, or people who think they're pharaohs and kings who want to see images of themselves everywhere. A day is going to come when that's going to be no longer. A day is going to come when justice comes to the earth and righteousness fills the earth. And it's in that day in Jesus' return that God's people will literally begin to reign with him in a new heavens and a new earth. I don't know what you think about eternity. If you grew up like me, you probably thought it was a, a disembodied reality where somehow your soul hopped from cloud to cloud and maybe there were some gold streets somewhere. But the story of redemption is one in which a day is going to come when you and I are going to receive resurrected bodies, physical bodies that will be planted on a new heavens and a new earth. And for all of eternity, I don't know what it's going to look like because we haven't gotten there yet. I don't know what it actually means because we haven't done it yet. But for all of eternity in the presence of God and one another, all of his redeemed images, we are going to explore and unfold the fullness and potential of a new heavens and a new earth with him forever. When you wake up tomorrow and go to the place where he has you, whether it's downstairs with your family or across town in some kind of office or whatever, it is preparation for eternity. You are learning to enjoy and steward and keep and cultivate to unfold potential where God has you right now because for all of eternity, that's what we get to do. I think we can live for a Christianity like that, right? What does it mean to be human, right? 
Well, to begin to explore the fullness of an answer, we've got to come to grips with what we were made for. And God's word tells us that we were made his image bearers to and for his creation. As sons and daughters, husbands and wives, homemakers and architects, farmers and fabricators, scientists and engineers, inventors, entrepreneurs, a faithful presence carrying out the mission of God to and for his creation. Of course, for you and I to in any way remotely do that well, to bear his image in a way that reflects his intentions to and for his creation, it requires nothing short of the ongoing supply of God's grace. Thankfully, he he has no shortage of grace to supply. So let's pray as we prepare to respond for him. Seek his ongoing grace to be the faithful presence he's called us to be. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to respond to your word, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would, in the moments of silence that we're going to have, in the moments of reflection that are coming, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly. And the way that you know needs to happen in each heart in the room, in each heart listening, you would rescue us from lesser ideas of what it means to be human. Father, from our time together here this morning, we ask that you you would send us out to work and to serve in the places that you have planned for us and that we would do it mindfully, creatively, and kindly, loving you well by loving all that you have put in that place for us to encounter. Lord, we're asking as your people, as a faithful presence in the places that you have planned for us and send us, may, may our presence there reflect your presence there. Lord, we ask that you would do what only you could do in our hearts and through us in the place where you have put us, and you would do it in Jesus' good and holy name. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Robert Green at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.